Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we can speak the name of Jesus over whatever is hurting us in our lives, whatever it is that feels broken in our world, whatever it is that feels broken within us, we can speak the name of Jesus and know that in that name is life. And so God, we give you thanks for that new life that can come in Jesus, and for that healing that can come in Jesus, for that strength that can come in Jesus. Because, loving God, we come before you as a people in deep need of that healing, in deep need of that strength, in deep need of that power. Um, in particular, we lift up Jack Root, um, who was diagnosed uh, with psoriasis of the liver, uh, blood pressure issues, diabetes, and cancer. God, we pray for healing uh, for Jack, that your hand may rest upon him, that the doctors may know what to do for him, that he may be made whole. We lift up Robert Pearson, uh, who is suffering from a torn um, aorta um, and has been hospitalized for that. Uh, God, we pray for healing uh, for Robert, um, that that aorta heal may be, may, may, that, that tear may be made whole, uh, that he may come back out full strength and get back to that life that he has been living is suffering from stage four uh, pancreatic cancer, God. Uh, I know that is a tough diagnosis and a tough thing, but in you there is miracle, miracles, in you there is healing. And so, God, we pray for Sandra, pray for her healing, pray that she may be set right. And, God, we lift up also all the prayer requests, both spoken and unspoken, here weighing on our hearts this morning. God, we hand those over to you. We lift up those who are suffering from COVID-19 and pray that they may be healed and that our world may be healed from COVID times. God, uh, we pray for all of those in deep need of you. But God, also we pray that there are places in our lives where we need to be healed too and healed in our spirit and made right. There are places where we don't yet live up to you and we need your healing there as well. And so God, even as we name them, we know that there is love in you. There is a second chance in you. There is forgiveness in you through the power of Christ's sacrifice. And God, we give you thanks for that. God, may you move in our lives so that we are compelled to tell your story, to go forth from this place, to as your hands and your feet, that our thankful hearts may turn into loving action in the world. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the 18th chapter of the gospel according to John, um, verses 33 through 37. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so are you a king? Oh, excuse me. So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Say it's God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, 
I want to tell you the story of two men that I stumbled upon in my travels. A lot of my 20s was spent vaguely wandering the earth, uh, seeing what interesting trouble I could get into, um, then getting into that interesting trouble, and then hoping to God I could get out of this interesting trouble. And this took me to like 20 countries in 10 years, and it was fascinating. And when I lived in England, I stumbled across, upon two men. Uh, one is named Leslie, uh, and one is named Charles. Uh, they both uh, were born in about the same period in history, that kind of, uh, like, just before the war ended, just after the war, World War II ended kind of time period. Um, and so they were, you know, to my 21-year-old eyes, older men when I met them. Um, they both also attended the same university at the same time. They both went to the very prestigious University of Cambridge um, in Cambridge, England. And both of them, one way or another, rose to prominence um, in uh, British politics uh, by the time I met them. Um, the guy who kind of looks like the actor Nathan Lane, uh, that is a Leslie Griffiths, also known as Lord Griffiths of Buryport. Um, he is uh, the superintendent of Wesley's Chapel, which is kind of the mother church for Methodism. It's where, like, John Wesley preached. It's where Charles Wesley's organ is. His, John Wesley's house is on that property. You know, he's this, like, fancy Methodist pastor. And then on top of that, um, uh, Tony Blair moved him up to the House of Lords. And so he is not just Pastor Leslie, which is how I met him. Um, he is Lord Griffiths. And so he is this, you know, he is like a radio show. He's this important guy. And the other guy, some of y'all probably figured out, is literally Prince Charles. Um, Prince Charles is the prince. He is very prominent. At one point in his life, um, that face was the face of the most eligible bachelor in the world. That is not the case anymore for a couple of reasons, um, not least of which is that he's married. Um, but I encountered them both at about the same time. And they, in that encounter with them, they could not be more different, despite the similarities in age, um, in political standing, in education. See, Lord Griffiths is from um, a very small coal mining um, town in Wales, the town of Burryport. Um, he uh, grew up very poor um, as the son of a miner. Um, he, his family did not have enough coal to heat their house. And so him and his brother used to hop um, the fence um, that separated his house from the train tracks to steal coal um, from, that had fallen off, fallen off of trains onto the train tracks. Um, and that's how his family uh, heated his house. Uh, even after he became a pastor, he was a missionary in Haiti for 20 years. And even after he got this like incredibly prestigious Methodist job, and even after he got elevated the House of Lords, Every person he ever met, he knew their name, he knew their story, and he cared for them. Whether it was a 21-year-old college student that stumbled into his acquaintance because someone told someone who knew I was interested in missionary stuff, said, oh, I know a missionary that used to be in Haiti. You should email him. I'm like, I'm plucky and stupid. Absolutely. I talked to Leslie. Then I get Leslie... What? Leslie's street address because I want to hang out with him and I walk in and here's this like massive church that I went to as a tourist when I was 10 I'm like I should have dressed better I have that thought a lot but I was dressed 
even less formally than I am now. Um, it was, I, uh, but he took me under his wing. He mentored me. He invited me and my, my godmother to go to the House of Lords with him. I used to stay in his house, um, hang out with his family, and drink his wine, I think in that order. Um, he took care of me, and like, when we went to the House of Lords, every person who opened the door for him, he knew their name and would ask about their mother. The person who took his coat, he knew their name and asked about their wife who had been getting cancer treatments and how that was going. Every, every waiter, every waitress, every person he met at the House of Lords, despite the fact that he is in this tremendous position of power, he knew their name, knew their story, and cared for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's this real powerful dude with this really fancy title. But he loved every single person he met including a really dumb, plucky college student who had really no business being there. Prince Charles, on the other hand, had a slightly different experience. You see, one day when I was staying over at Wesley's Chapel um, in the guest room, uh, Prince Charles was going to be attending a funeral um, at the chapel. And so I got woken up to bomb-sniffing dogs. Um, okay, it was like 8.30 in the morning. This was not like 5 a.m., but I was 21. Um, and so I got woken up bright and early at 8.30 in the morning to bomb-sniffing dogs going through my room. Um, and then I was sitting bleary-eyed at 9 a.m. Um, as I'm watching this argument happen in the office of Wesley's Chapel. And the argument was about two things. One was, could Prince Charles, was Prince Charles allowed to use the restroom um, at Wesley's Chapel, or would he have to use the restroom prior to his arrival? It was decided that because the bomb-sniffing dogs had not sniffed this throne, he was going to have to sit on his own throne uh, before he arrived. The other part of the debate was whether the royal behind could touch a, a, a floral cushion. You see, Wesley's Chapel, old school church, wooden pew benches, uncomfortable. Prince Charles was not going to sit on a wooden pew bench, but the only cushions they had available at Wesley's Chapel had a floral print on them. And it was unclear whether Prince Charles's people would accept a floral print cushion for his royal behind. The answer, by the way, was no. They brought a cushion for him because he could not merely sit on a, a homespun floral cushion. Can you imagine having a life where you are worried whether you'll be allowed, whether the people will let you go to a bathroom in a place, and someone is so worried about the cushion you might sit upon um, that it sparks an hour worth of debate, and I'm sitting here going, thinking this is hilarious. But it draws a distinction, doesn't it? Between this, like, really powerful pastor who let me stay in his house and knew everyone's name and, like, had a congregation, you know, full of, you know, immigrants struggling, trying to make it work. And Prince Charles, who was not allowed to sit, who would not mean to sit upon a homespun floral cushion, but must bring a velvet cushion from home. And this was the hour of someone's life. It's a real, like, kingdom of God, kingdom of this world feel. So that whole exchange, it taught me a lot, honestly, it taught me a lot about being a pastor as I watched this incredibly important pastor just love everybody. That was like, oh, good, note to self. If I'm going to be like one of those two guys, I should be like Leslie. And I try in my own ministry to do so. But as I thought about today's scripture, this is the argument that kept, this is the image that kept coming to my mind, was this argument 
about Lord Griffiths versus Prince Charles. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Because that's the fight. There's, this is actually a fight happening in John chapter 18 where there is a pitched cage match between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, it just so happens that it's happening politely, right? This is one of those like great polite arguments that is actually like deeply spiritual. Um, and there's a lot happening here. Um, just in this, you say that I'm a king. Am I really a king? Are you really a king? What are you doing here? This, this, is, this is knives out. Um, it just happens to be happening politely. But it is the difference between a coward and a savior. Pontius Pilate is a coward. Jesus is a savior. And why I say that Pontius Pilate is a coward is because Pontius Pilate, this whole time, could have let Jesus go no problem. He has the power to do that. He is a Roman governor. He represents the most powerful government that had ever existed up until the point. They had the biggest army. They had the best technology. They had figured out how to make poop flush out of toilets, which is remarkable. They could set one guy free. In fact, when there was a rebellion in Judea, less than a generation later, they showed up with the legion and knocked over the temple. They could put down any rebellion they wanted. Pilate keeps saying, oh, my hands are tied. The crowd wants it. I don't want it. I can't go against the crowd. Yes, you can, Pilate. You're one of the most powerful people on the planet. With the full weight of the Roman government and army behind you. Anything Pilate wanted to do in that moment, he could do. Including set Jesus free. Perfectly capable of doing it. Now, it would have meant a mess. It would have been an unpopular decision. It would have meant he would have to put down uh, some riots. Yes, absolutely. It was going to be hard. But sometimes, as we know, the right thing is hard. Pilate, in this conversation, knows Jesus is innocent. Knows he is not claiming to be some sort of earthly king. He's not committing some form of insurrection. He's an innocent man that Pilate allows to be killed. Because Pilate didn't have the guts to stand up to the crowd who were trying to kill Jesus for no reason. Pontius Pilate, he's a coward, only interested in his own comfort and what makes governing easiest for him. Jesus dying is a matter of convenience for Pilate because he can get a cheap win with the temple and everything just goes along smoothly. Even as Pilate knows, Jesus is innocent. Count. He has all the power in the world and won't use it to do something that's right. The other corner is Jesus. One of the things we lose sight of, too, Jesus could have walked out of that room just by snapping his fingers. He doesn't actually need to just snap his fingers. Presumably, he could just make Pilate you know, drop dead by looking at him wrong. And Pilate's dead. Jesus can do that. He's Jesus. Jesus can do anything. He's the word there at creation. He's the power of God made manifest in human form. He's Emmanuel, God among us. Jesus can do literally anything. Jesus made all of us. The wisdom that is in Jesus' mind made us all. Jesus could have killed Pilate without thinking. Jesus could have knocked down the temple without thinking. Jesus could have slaughtered the entire Roman legion without thinking. There's this wonderful moment in the temptation of Christ uh, where the devil takes Jesus up to the top of the temple and says, look, uh, you could command the angels to save your life. You just jumped off. And Jesus, Jesus goes, yeah, but I'm not going to put God to the test. 
Jesus can command the angels to do anything. At no point in this story does Jesus have to die. That's the point he's making in verse 36. If he wanted to not die, he doesn't have to. It's all in his power. Picking up verse 36. Here we go. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. My father, excuse me. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. He could have gotten out of there. But he didn't. He chose to stay. Even though he knew Pilate was full of it. I mean, he knew the charges against him were full of it. He stayed. And allowed himself to be tortured. And allowed himself to be killed. Because he knew that was the way to save us all. He knew that was the way to fundamentally alter the scales in the battle between good and evil. He knew that his suffering would be for a purpose that is fundamentally the right thing. That is the love of his creation. So you have two men. Both of whom have the power to stop this whole thing right now. And let Jesus walk free. One chose to not do that because he is a coward. The other chose to not do that. Because he is a savior. Who came to build a very different kingdom. Based on the truth of God. That is also the depth of God's love for us. And that's his little speech. His little closing barb at Pilate. In verse 37. Pilate asked him. So are you a king? Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And that's a voice that makes a bold statement of love for God's creation. A creation that didn't deserve it, right? Jesus died for us even before we got our lives together. Whatever version you have in your life of your life not yet being together, and I guarantee we all have some version of this, Jesus died for you then. Jesus died for Pilate. Jesus died for the temple hierarchy. Now, we don't know what happened in Pilate's life. Maybe Pilate had a deathbed confession for Jesus. I really don't know, but he could have. Pilate had that option, even though Pilate's a coward, because Jesus is a savior. It is this fundamental testimony to God's love that a true king, the true king of kings and true Lord of lords meant willingly sacrificing himself for us. And what the, one of the most powerful men of this world could do at the time was cowardly dodging responsibility. Because it was inconvenient. Fundamentally, there is a clear difference between God's kingdom and not God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, the most powerful being that has ever been, the most powerful man to ever have walked the earth, Jesus Christ, God among us, willingly dies for a creation that does not deserve it. 
because it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that he knows will make the most difference for the most people. Those are not the values of this world. This world doesn't look like that much. Every once in a while it breaks through. God breaks through even in this world. But yeah, mm, I like that look. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. This world's a mess. Where leaders are worried about floral cushions or whatever. That's a mild version. It's just a funny version. Difference between God's kingdom and what this world does could not be more stark. That what being a king in God's world means sacrificing yourself for your creation. It means leading by sacrifice so that the world may be saved. The question then for all of us is who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Now I get you can't literally follow Pontius Pilate in the 21st century. He's been dead for 2,000 years and the world, as it seems, is probably better off for it. But are you going to choose to put your life in the hand of Jesus. Because this choice that Jesus makes here on this day where he gives himself up, this choice he makes in Pilate's office, it sits at the root of salvation. This choice to die. This choice to be lifted up. The choice to glorify God by allowing himself to be put to death. It's at the root of our salvation. It is at the root of our opportunity to, for us then to choose. Because Jesus chose you, you can choose Jesus. Because Jesus chose me, I can choose Jesus. Because Jesus chose Pilate. Pilate could choose Jesus if he so wanted to. So for each of us, we always have that choice. We're going to put our lives in the hands of Christ. Or not. And as your pastor, as a person who has to stand up here and talk for X amount of time every week, I hope the point I'm trying to make is clear. Y'all choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. You can have no better king than Jesus. You can have no more loving friend than Jesus. No other person ever is more trustworthy with the contents of your soul than Jesus because he died for you while your soul was a mess. While my soul was a mess. still is a mess. Just less messy. Beautiful. There's no better steward for your soul. There's no better ruler of your life than the one who when he had the power to get away from being brutally tortured And even more brutally killed. Prayed to God. Made his choice. And let it happen. That's the ruler I want. And he's right here. For all of us. That hand. Is always reaching out. For us to grab hold of. And saying yes Jesus. Reign in my life. I want that. I want that kingdom that's so much bigger 
and so much more beautiful. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that at the root of our salvation, it's a loving Savior who willingly allowed himself to be killed because he knew what it would mean for all of us. Loving God, may we let that into our hearts. May we let that sink in. May we accept that grace for ourselves. That Jesus Christ may be king in our hearts and that we might be a part of making clear who really can save the world. Even if this is for the first time, or the, for the 400th time, God, may we let you in. Let that love be the foundation of our lives and our salvation. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you. Form one united body in Christ, for that indeed is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. Become a part of that kingdom and let that kingdom run your life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.